2: How do you eat smarter? Nobody wants to eat stupid, right? (laughs) And so we have back with us a very popular guest, somebody who's been on our show numerous times. We're really glad that he's back, Sean Stevenson. He is a nutritionist, best-selling author, uh, number one top health podcast host. Um, We've had you back on the we had you on the show in the past talking about your book, Sleep Smarter, which very popular episodes. Now we're going to talk about your upcoming book called Eat Smarter, Brilliant Branding. (laughs) My friend, thanks for coming back. It's my pleasure, man. I love talking with you, Jim. Dude, I could talk. To you for hours, so we know. Uh, let's jump into food. We know what you eat matters, especially for your gray matter. Yeah. And uh, let's talk a little bit about brain. You and I were geeking out about brain anatomy before we started recording. What, what's what's this thing made out of? Because you, what you eat becomes you. But what's what what's the brain matter made out of?
1: Yeah, this is such a great question. Just an important place to begin because. Oftentimes I don't think we really realize that our brains are made out of the stuff that we eat. And our brain is actually a very, very hungry organ. As a matter of fact, it only takes up about 2% of our body's overall mass, but it consumes upwards of of 25% of the calories we consume. It's a massively hungry organ. And it just makes sense because it's also arguably the most complex entity in the known universe. Yeah. And being that it's doing so many different processes, literally like trillions of things are happening right now in our brains. Um, many of these pathways and the way that we are feeding our brain is actually this part, once we get in this conversation, it's not as clear cut as it may seem. Because being that it's the most complex and powerful entity in the known universe, it's also very protective, right? Our mm-hmm. brains are so powerful but yet they're very delicate. And they're actually about the, your brain's consistency is about the consistency of soft butter. so it's like this beautiful poetry in nature, like this super powerful entity is also the most, it's more delicate than my emotions after watching Toy Story 3. You know, like I'm so, it's this beautiful poetry. Now, being that this is the case, it also has a security system external and internal, the external security system, it's the only organ that's completely enclosed in its own hard shell, its own bone, right? We have our cranium, we have our skull that's protecting this organ and that's protecting from external intrusions but internal intrusions are even more uh, potentially problematic and because they're subtle. And for this, the brain has what's known as the blood brain barrier. And it's really this highly sophisticated velvet rope, basically, of what's gonna determine what's going to get into your brain and what won't. Because what's circulating in your body, in your bloodstream, uh, there's a lot of toxins, there's a lot of you know metabolic waste, there are many different substances that can be incredibly detrimental to your brain. And so the brain has developed this very, sophisticated system of identifying only specific things that can cross over this blood-brain barrier and make it into the brain. And so it's very, very selective. And our mutual friend, Dr. Lisa Muscone, uh, she calls it neuronutrition, you know, and so the brain has its own diet. And so what I want folks to, to know just right off the bat is that there are specific nutrients that are able to cross the blood-brain barrier and directly feed the development of your brain cells, All right. And today we'll talk about what some of those are. And we're not just going to talk about disease prevention as far as the brain and degradation. That's where a lot of the work is focused. We're going to talk about the things you can do, specific foods and nutrients you can eat to make your brain work better.
2: And smarter. <laughs> That's Tangential. When, you, uh, when, we have, when we talk about our second brain, our gut, and you hear this term "leaky gut syndrome." Is that is there a similar phenomenon here in the brain with the blood brain barrier? concerning things like leak in because of disease, inflammation? Ooh,
1: Jim, this is so good, so good. <laughs> and I'm so honored about Each Smarter coming out at this time yeah. and furthering these conversations because this is a, this is going to be some of the first in book form information getting out to everyday folks. to get educated in this topic, you know, there's leaky gut, and we also have this developing term of leaky brain, you know, and actually, things that can break down the this blood brain barrier, this basically very sophisticated security system can create a situation where it's breaking down and allowing things into the brain that shouldn't be there. And also having degradation the ability for toxins and metabolic waste because i just mentioned the brain is doing trillions of things there's a lot of metabolic waste products that need to get shuttled out of the brain and that process being broken down as well and not working uh, as effectively and this buildup of this you know like uh, amyloid beta plaque for example and not being able to get it out of the out of the brain we talked about this in sleep smarter right and how sleep deprivation is one of the biggest Factors behind an inability of the brain to clean itself, because it's when you're sleeping that your uh, this glymphatic system, this cleaning process, your your brain's little internal helpers, it's about ten times more active. You know, so what you just brought up is a very important factor in this, and this goes into it leads into a conversation because what this top, topic in and of itself can be a whole show, but it leads into an important topic and a subject. This term that a lot of folks are gonna hear more about coming up. And so this might be the first time you're hearing it, but there's this new phenomenon called neuroinflammation. It's not that it's new, it's just that now we have a term for it in hypothalamic inflammation specifically. Mm-hmm. Hypothalamic inflammation, so the hypothalamus is really largely regarded as the master regulator of your endocrine system, all right? It's like the, the governator, it's like the one that's running what's happening downstream. Now, this is part of the HPA axis, the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis. But along that axis, the superhighway is also your thyroid, for mm-hmm. example. It's also factoring in you know, what's happening with your immune system and your thymus gland. There's so much going on in this axis. Now, here's the big issue. And this is one of the things that we talk about that's probably, again, it's for a lot of folks, this is the first time they're gonna be hearing it. Because when you're hearing about losing weight, we're generally focused on this kind of calorie paradigm and not understanding that your hypothalamus is regulating how your body is using or not using energy in your body. And the latest data that we have shows that hypothalamic inflammation can directly lead to leptin resistance. So that's, leptin is your body's satiety hormone, Mm -hmm. well, your major satiety hormone. We talk about all the rest of them in the book too. But that leptin processing starts to go down. And so we find folks start to become increasingly more ravenous in their appetite and cravings. And they also found that this hypothalamic inflammation directly leads to weight gain. And nobody's talking about that with their diet programs, that we need to address the inflammation in your brain to lose weight. But your brain, and this is a very simple principle, it's controlling what everything in your body is doing. And this is the beauty of it. If we can get our brains healthy, we can get our bodies healthy.
2: And mm. we've talked about this before that as as your your waistline increases, your your brain actually can shrink, and so that's why that weight management is so important as well. So let, let's talk about this. We have skyrocketing rates of brain uh, brain inflammation, yep. so that's really affecting our health. And so you alluded to like foods maybe we should be avoiding that could contribute to it. And then the foods and the nutrients that would help build our brain so we could be smarter, better. What, what are what are some of those things?
1: Absolutely. So the first thing for folks to be aware of is that when we talked about the blood-brain barrier and basically having these little pathways that only allow certain types of cars to drive through them, your brain has a lot of sugar pathways, a lot of sugar tunnels. Your brain has a preferential kind of... Um, treatment, it loves and will absorb uh, of the vast majority of glucose calories that are in your body. We're talking upwards of 50 to 80% of the glucose that comes in, your brain is going to snatch it up. It loves it, but not because it's this like evolutionary uh, drive to do it. It's just that this is what we're kind of hardwired to do, but that evolutionary drive can become faulty because of all the pure access of sugar that we have today that we never had throughout human evolution. And so these sugar pathways that are just driving all the glucose we might be taking in, all of these sugar calories. And I shared a recent study that upwards of about uh, the average American is consuming a, over a hundred pounds of added sugar every year. That's okay. Okay. mind-blowing. That's added sugar. That's not even the naturally occurring sugar in so many different foodstuffs. And so it's really shocking, but at the same time, we don't realize that our brain is taking the brunt of it. And so these sugar pathways that are allowing rapid amounts of sugar to make it into the brain are one of the uh, factors behind this growing epidemic of neuroinflammation. And one of the things that we see is that the brain's receptors, sugar receptors, uh, receptors for insulin, because the brain also has this insulin production that's needed to drive the sugar into the cells but we start to see insulin resistance happening in the brain, all right? And this insulin resistance in the brain is now being referred to as type three diabetes. It's one of the kind of subsets of what we refer to as Alzheimer's disease. So Alzheimer's is often being referred to now as type three diabetes. So this insulin resistance in the brain. And so we've got all of this kind of rampant sugar floating around in our system, creating inflammation. All right so that's one of the big causative factors behind the breakdown of the blood brain barrier and also the inflammation in the brain is our ever increasing consumption of sugar. So now let me be clear this does not mean that all sugar is bad or that you can't have sugar it's just being aware that this isn't just about weight loss you know because we tend to think of sugar in this very vanity terms it's literally destroying the most important organ in our lives, that determine everything about you, and so that's really what I wanted to accomplish with this book is to give people a layered understanding of how much food matters, yeah. and not just this one vanity metric. And so, but the good news is we can fix these things.
2: With regards to sugar, um, does it matter the the source then? If you're getting it from honey or maple syrup, does the, does the source matter? It's such
1: a good question, and. This gets into the conversation that I'll just briefly touch on, which is about our metabolic uh, uniqueness. Our metabolic fingerprint hmm. is unique to us. Our cascade of microbiome, you know, our microbiome and our endocrine system, our neurotransmitters, the cascade that we have has never existed before in human history for us as an individual and will never exist after us even our cascade of all these different metrics is going to be different tomorrow than what it is today. The body is this constantly dynamic changing entity. And so when we're focused on like, what type of sugar, it depends on us. It depends on us. And I cite one of the studies in the book and I show, this study is nuts. It has folks to consume either a banana or a cookie to see the impact that it has on their metabolism. And you would suspect like, okay, the cookie is definitely gonna be uh, more detrimental to the blood glucose, you know, just right off the bat. Like the banana has a little bit of fiber, it has some micronutrients, like wasn't the case for everybody. Some folks had a banana and it flipped their system out and the cookie did nothing to to their metabolism. It did nothing to their blood sugar. It stayed normal as if they never had a cookie, all right? It depends on our unique metabolism, what type of sugar is going to be most detrimental or even potentially helpful.
2: And can you You test that? Can you test that with like a glucose monitor or? Yep. Yep. So we've got all
1: these self-quantification devices that can tell us this feedback. For me personally, I'm always referring people back to paying attention to what's happening inside of their inner world. Hmm. And this is something that we talked about, like this, any of us can get detracted from it especially when we're like focused on big project or family stuff or social media, all this stuff takes us out of our own bodies. But if you just pay attention to how you feel when you have a certain food, how do you look when you are eating a certain way? How do you perform? How does How is your performance affected? Yeah. And all this can give us valuable data. You don't need to get yeah. a glucose monitor, but it can be helpful if you yeah. love that self-quantification information. And you might find out some really interesting things about how different foods affect your body.
2: Yeah, Sean, we have you to appreciate this because you have kids. We do a live kids program every Tuesday and Thursday from kids nine to 13, 14, 18. And uh, as part of it, because we don't want what's going on with school to get in the way of their education. Right. And part of it is I was citing some of your work and and I was actually having them journal and talk about all the foods that pass through their lips and then how they feel afterwards. So that they could, they don't, you know, if not having a monitor, they could actually write down and go and connect with their intuition and see how they feel and they can see the association, you know, or, or the uh, the correlation between what they're eating and the uh, that cause and effect, but that the.